Episode 55, Church History, Part 18. We're still in the 6th century. There's so much to unfold. The Germanic tribes have taken over the Western Roman Empire. Justinian and Theodora try to take the West back and put them under the Roman control again. But plagues and wars make it very difficult. Eventually, the East became tired of Rome's control and being overtaxed. Riots broke out there and Justinian and Theodora endured the chaos and had to rebuild Constantinople before their death. The Lombards, joined by the Saxons, the Harels, the Bulgars, the Thuringians, and the Ostrogoths, take over Italy in 568 AD. Gregory the Great was born around 540 AD, during the troubled times of famine and plague as Justinian tried to reclaim Italy and the West back from the Germanic tribes. He was born into a very wealthy family in Rome. Gregory was well placed in society as his family held the Sicilian Hill in Rome, properties outside the city and estates in Sicily. Historians believe Gregory's family was a part of the privileged class in early Rome and were very involved in the church with ancestors holding the positions of Pope. His great-great-grandfather, Pope Felix III, was favored by Theodoric, the king of the Ostrogoths. Gregory was well-educated with legal training and served in public office or the government, but eventually he gave it all up to become a monk. Britannica.com states, His conversion to monastic life in 574 was not sudden, but grew from a lifelong conflict between his personal desire for contemplative purity and the public duty to serve others in the pollution of worldly affairs. Renouncing secular life, Gregory established on family property on the Sicilian Hill a monastery dedicated to St. Andrew. He founded six more monasteries on family estates in Sicily, but retained sufficient property to make later endowments to the church. Gregory had a deep respect for the monastic life and particularly the vow of poverty. Pope Benedict, who established the Benedict of monastic rule, dies in 579 A.D., and Pelagius II becomes the next pope. Pelagius makes Gregory an ambassador or deacon and sends him to Constantinople to retrieve military aid against those Lombards, in which he did accomplish much. But while there, Gregory disagreed with the teachings of an aged patriarch, Athesius of Constantinople. Athesius taught that the flesh of Christ could not perish and was not capable of suffering. He believed after the resurrection, the body is more subtle than air and no longer tangible. Gregory disagreed stating that Christ was palpable, according to Luke 24 and 39. These theological disputes and other political disruptions went on during Gregory's time in Constantinople until 586 AD, when he was called back to Rome, where he lived as a monk. Another plague hits Rome and kills Pelagius and many others. Gregory is now elected the Pope in 590 AD via the Byzantine voting structure. He was reluctant at first, but quickly began to accept his position and power. Britannica.com states, He succeeded Pelagius II, who had succumbed to the plague that swept Rome that year. According to tradition, Gregory led a penitential procession to Santa Maria Maggiore during that plague. A vision of the archangel Michael atop Adrian's tomb, now the Castile St. Angelo, convinced him that Rome would be spared. And today, a statue on the Castile St. Angelo depicts Michael replacing his sword with the scabbard. Okay. During this plague, 
Pope Gregory made sure the people of Rome were taken care of. In fact, he became known for his efforts in assisting the poor people of Rome. Historians believe the Lombards were the majority of the poor, but they still controlled a great part of Italy in the north with their great military. Nevertheless, Gregory just wanted peace with the Lombards, and he was able to get it by paying hundreds of pounds of gold from the church treasury, allegedly. Gregory began to be referred to as the patrimony of St. Peter. He was the leader to follow because he saved Rome from the Lombards. Elite and wealthy Christians were leaving their land and their properties to the church, which funded food and resources to the poor people of Rome and refugees like the Lombards. Church in Rome received donations of many different kinds, consumables such as food and clothing, investment property, real estate and works of art, capital goods, revenue generating properties such as the Sicilian Latifundia or agricultural estates. Gregory and the church became very wealthy through the bequeathed lands, but more so from taxing the citizens, like today. After settling the issues with the Lombards, Gregory began to focus on the church. He was a monk and the first pope as a monk. He ensured the monastic beliefs and practices were carried out. He wanted the clergy to practice celibacy just as Bishop Augustine of Hippo and St. Jerome did. Gregory sent monks to the Germanic tribes, the Anglo-Saxons, also known as the Anglis, the Saxons and the Jutes in England to convert them to Christianity. Monk Augustine of Canterbury, the leader of the missionary trip, wanted to bring all the Saxons to Christianity. The King of Kent, England, wasn't too happy at first, but eventually met Monk Augustine and allowed him and the other monks to evangelize the region. And the King of Kent was eventually baptized. Gregory was so happy about the converts that he sent more monks to evangelize the area. And this endeavor is believed to have brought Christianity to Northern Europe. Britannica.com states, while he believed that the gospel was meant to be preached to all parts of the world, Gregory's first concern was for Rome and Southern Italy to see where he was powerful enough to effect reform. In fact, Gregory ordered the Saxon temples to not be destroyed, but destroy only the idols in them. Roman practices dominated the Saxons or barbarians as they became Christians. Pagan temples were turned into Christian temples where they worshiped pagan gods or Roman deities discussed in previous episodes. Christians were now worshiping in the same spaces. Again, we see paganism and Christianity merging together even more so. The Greek and Roman basilica buildings became known as a known structure for the Christian church. The Germanic and Celtic traditions would merge with the church and its religion of Christianity. Pope Gregory wrote letters, and one letter he wrote to Abbot Miletus in 597 states, Tell Augustine that he should be no means destroy the temples of the gods, but rather the idols within those temples. Let him, after he has purified them with holy water, place altars and relics of the saints in them. For if those temples are well built, they should be converted from the worship of demons to the service of the true God. 
Thus seeing that their places of worship are not destroyed, the people will banish their errors from their hearts and come to places familiar and dear to them in acknowledgement and worship of the true God. This is interesting considering Yah completely destroyed the Tower of Babel and Sodom and Gomorrah. Thomas Cahill, Mysteries of the Middle Ages, writes, There was no need, advised Gregory, the practical Roman, to tear down the pagan temples, but just remove the idols and replace them with decent Christian images. What? Nor was there any need to outlaw the old festivals or the customs that accompanied them. Just baptize them a bit. But such encouragement were the customs of the northern barbarians allowed to enter the European mainstream. The mask and the ghost of Halloween, the vernal and venereal tomfooleries of May Day, as well as the lustral bathings and lantern-hung forest of midsummer night taken from the Celts, the toasted cheese, the toast of warm ale, and rich desserts of northern winters, and ritual of sweetening with pine branches, the claustral air, and houses sealed against the cold taken from the Germanic tribes. The word Easter, originally the goddess of spring, accompanied by her fertility symbols of rabbits and decorated eggs taken from the Saxons. The word Yule and the burning Yule log taken from the Vikings. These and a thousand other customs of the savage heathens rolled into the former empire and were christened and absorbed. For this, we have Gregory and many of his now nameless brother bishops to thank. You see, this is where the Christmas celebrations and the details of it are coming from, as we discussed in our Christmas episode, from the celebrations of Christmas to New Year's to Halloween, Easter, and other holidays. They're all pagan. It came from paganism. Pope Gregory reformed the structure and administration of the Catholic Christian Church and started the Gregorian chants, like the rosary that is done today. Gregory also taught the purgatory teachings of Augustine of Hippo. In Britannica.com states, he elaborated the doctrine still further, treating the purgatorial fire as an extension beyond the grave of the metaphorical fire of redemptive suffering. While commending the practice of offering masses for the sake of suffering souls, he emphasized as Augustine did, that the question of salvation or damnation is settled at the moment of death. Only those destined for salvation pass through purgatory, but purgatory is nowhere in scripture. Gregory believed in Augustine's teaching of the Eucharist that the bread and wine were the actual body and blood of Christ, which led to the Catholic Mass or the death of Yeshua celebrated at every Mass. We discuss Mass also in our Christmas episode, in that Christmas actually means the death of Christ. Britannica.com states, Papal patrimony flourished in the South, and Gregory's efficient and just administration of estates brought revenue to support extensive alms in Rome, where systematic records of charitable expenditures were kept in the Lateran. In governing this patrimony, Gregory claimed his goal was not so much to promote the worldly interests of the church as to relieve the poor in their distress, and especially to protect them from oppression. Gregory established colleges of rectors or defensories with staffs of tonsort agents who were sent to manage estates and render justice on site, for example, to protect peasants from exploitation by the nobles. 
For the future, Gregory's most important reform was making land inheritable. Like his concern for justice, this reform improved the lot of peasants and encouraged them to remain in one locale to cultivate the land. Gregory did tolerate slavery as a fact of God's dispensation bestowed on humanity after the fall, and he believed that humble obedience was required by God. Okay? In official documents, Pope Gregory referred to himself as the servant of servants of God, per the Catholic Encyclopedia, which is the title all popes use today. A servant who followed his own ways and per Britannica.com left the church treasury nearly bankrupt. Jeremiah 10. For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Yah, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. But Yah is the true God. He is the living God, an everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth shall tremble, and the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. Thus shall you say unto them, the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth, even they shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. He hath made the earth by his power. He hath established the world by his wisdom. He hath stretched out the heavens by his discretion. When he uttered his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens, and he causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings with rain, and bringeth forth the wind out of his treasures. Every man is brutish in his knowledge. Every founder is confounded by the graven image, for his molten image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. They are vanity, and the work of errors. In the time of their visitation, they shall perish. The portion of Jacob is not like them, for he is the former of all things, and Israel is the rod of his inheritance. Yah of hosts is his name. Gather up thy wares out of the land, O inhabitant of the fortress. For thus saith Yah, Behold, I will sling out the inhabitants of the land at this once, and will distress them, that they may find it so. Woe is me for my hurt. My wound is grievous. But I said, truly, this is a grief, and I must bear it. My tabernacle is spoiled. All my cords are broken. My children are gone forth of me, and they are not. There is none to stretch forth my tent any more, and to set up my curtains. For the pastors are become brutish, and have not sought Yah. Therefore, they shall not prosper, and all their flocks shall be scattered. Behold, the noise of the brute is come, and a great commotion out of the north country to make the cities of Judah desolate and a den of dragons. Oh, yeah, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. O Yah, correct me, but with judgment, not in thine anger, lest thou bring me to nothing. Pour out thy fury upon the heathen that know thee not, and upon the families that call not on thy name. For they have eaten up Jacob, and devoured him, consumed him, and have made his habitation desolate. As we seek truth, 
Please seek truth with us. Please send questions or comments to info at truthwars.com or commit here. We don't claim to know everything. We just seek the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that knows everything. Let truth roar. Let truth reign. Let truth speak. And let truth set you and your entire family free. Truth roars. Truth reigns. Truth speaks. Truth sets me free. Please see a podcast disclaimer at truthwars.com.